Welcome to the Catholic Center. Welcome to the Catholic Center. Welcome to the Catholic Center. So we crowdsource some questions for Colin. Ready. First thing that comes to mind, fried rice or steamed rice? Steamed. What is your spirit animal? Ooh, I like, um, my favorite animal is probably a dog. Mm-hmm. Zaxby's or Cane's? Neither. Chick-fil-A. Did Jesus sweat holy water? Yes. Have you ever heard of Instagram? <laughs> what? What is your spirit fruit? Um, spirit fruit. That's a fruity question. What is a spirit fruit? What is a fruit that you could imagine yourself to be? <laughs> oh. Uh, skip next. Who is your someone who's inspired you? Hmm. Uh, one of the chaplains that I had up at, uh, yeah, well, up up at when I was a cadet, his name is Father Matt. He was a uh, yeah great chaplain, and uh, love love the Lord. He served God. He serves God's people, and he serves good food too. He's actually a pretty good good cook. So, yeah. Is a hot dog a sandwich? Whew. I haven't had enough philosophy classes what about to a answer taco? that. Is a taco a sandwich? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> what is your top five saints? Hmm. Does this include Mary or is this separate? We can include Mary. Okay. So I, would have <laughs> to, I would have to go Mary, St. Joseph, uh, my confirmation saint, St. Patrick, St. Therese of and then this is me hard to pick the the next one. Uh, right now, number five kind of comes and goes depending on what mood I'm in or who's just reaching out. <laughs> it's transitory. Mm-hmm. Right now, John the twenty third's got a got a big place in there. Why John the twenty third? He uh when I got to seminary, there's an image of him on our stairwell, mm-hmm. and he just—I just—that image stick has stood out to me since. But he's got like these massive paws for hands, and he just kind of looked like a papa bear. Um, so there I was, new seminarian, didn't know nobody. I see this image, and I was immediately kind of comforted by it. It was like a security and a comfort in it. Um, I find I found out later that uh, Saint John the Twenty Third was actually a, I want to say one of the most decorated chaplains, not in the U.S. Army, but he was in the um, Italian Army, uh, 
maybe during World War One. So he was anyway a military military chaplain. So there's that connection too. But yeah, right now uh, he's been on the move in my spiritual life. I got a, a letter from a friend, a, a postcard, and he was another image of him was on the the front of it. So. Mm-hmm. What are your music preferences? Music preferences. Uh, I like southern rock. I like uh, a little bit of country. So, a little bit of Christian uh, worship. It's kind of a mixture of things. Mm-hmm. Dream job besides priest or military? Hmm. I'd say when I was a kid, I a little like my first thing I wanted to be growing up. Uh, was, it quickly became army a few years later, but was a fireman. Hmm. I think it'd still be cool to be a fireman. What are you? What is something that you're passionate about? The Lord and the Blessed Mother. And the Blessed Mother. Yep. What is your favorite form of prayer? Hmm. Favorite form of prayer uh, probably be, first and foremost, the Mass. Um, I think, for me, that's always been uh, a very powerful form of prayer and, and something that uh, fills me with a lot of, of life and energy uh, to carry out my my duties the rest of the day. Um, but apart from, from that, um, I typically like uh, Lexio Divina and, and reading Scripture, um, praying with, with Scripture. What's the craziest thing you've done? Craziest thing I've done? Uh I shot off a firecracker in a bus once. <laughs> what happened with that? Um, so it was one of those uh, bluebird school buses, and um, I was a I was a big kid. I was a grown up. Uh, I was in the the army at the time, and uh, we were doing this training event called Platoon Live Fires. Uh, so we get to play with, uh, as soldiers, live ammunition and different uh, things that go boom. And so we were out there doing this training exercise all week. Um, and on our final iteration of it, it must have been 2 o'clock in the morning because we would do training during the day and at, at night. And uh, there's a dog and, and pony show there of... The uh, everyone wanting to watch this final and last iteration of uh, Platoon Live Fires. And so I was part of this dog and pony show, and um, I went up with the support element. There's a support by fire element that was up on a, on a berm and could see the whole objective from there as a uh, maneuver, maneuver element came through and, and cleared. Um, and after this event after they uh completed their mission the sergeant major uh he's kind of uh this big senior 
what they call a non-commissioned officer uh, who's in charge, who, who helps a um, battalion commander run a unit. He shows up and he starts kicking around all the expenditures that's all over the, the ground, whether it was brass from ex expended shells or what have you. And he's, he's yelling at us to clean, clean everything up. Um, so we get down and start picking up all these munitions, putting them in our laps, uh, in our extra cargo pockets to, to clean, clean the range, leave it, uh, more clean than when we had first found it. Um, so I do the same thing, pick up stuff, put it in my pockets, put it in my, um, carrying it out there and they have a, a bus that comes down to the, uh, end of this dirt road to pick up the platoon and it's going to bring us maybe a couple miles back the other way to do what they call an after action review. And, uh, so we all load up on this bus, and I'm kind of towards the front. And, again, 2 o'clock in the morning, pretty late. We've been training all week, pretty exhausted. All of us are asleep within seconds on this bus um, as it rumbles down the road uh, back to the, the review tent. And I feel this uh, something heavy slip out of my, my lap, and I hear this tink, and it hits the floor in between my legs and all of a sudden it just goes whoosh, boom right in the front of the bus like the scene of a, of a movie just fireball in the front of the bus and suddenly everybody's awake right now the bus screeches to a halt um I realized that some, somehow I was connected to this event I'd caused done something so I stand up to go stomp out the fire and there's a secondary explosion of more flames coming out and uh so i'm like shoot this is this is only getting worse um so now i look around kind of in a daze um in front of me there's the charred front of the bus behind me i see one of the soldiers trying to escape out of the emergency hatch those little hatches on the the roof of you know your normal school bus but he got stuck in his ammunition uh, vest so only his legs were dangling out um it was, it was pretty surreal like the scene of a of a movie uh people are pushing me in the back cussing yelling to to get off the bus get off the bus and freaking out and uh we finally we finally get off this bus uh, get accountability of all our men, weapons, and equipment. Um, and people are asking, starting to ask what the heck uh, happened. I'm using, uh, using podcast language here. But yeah, asking what the heck happened. And um, so I, I fess up. I said, I, th I think I dropped something. Uh, and turns out uh, what it was was a charged star cluster, which are are signaling pyrotechnics. Uh, somebody had left a charged star cluster on the berm, that support by fire berm, and so I managed to pick it up um, and carry a, a, a charged one. So that there's ways that you can prime these things so that they, they go off with a kind of a, a bop at the bottom of them. So when it fell and hit the bus, it shot off... Uh, could have killed me easily. I can I can laugh about it now. Could have killed other people easily. 
but fortunately, the Lord is good, and I, and I He kept us all safe. And now I've just got a, a funny story for when I shot off a firework in the bus and <laughs> lived to tell it. So uh, I remember thinking, too, at that very night, um, I had to go report to our battalion commander and, and explain to him why government property was damaged, why the front of the bus was charred. Uh, <laughs> and he... God bless this. I have tremendous respect for my, my battalion commander then, still do. But he's, he asked me if anybody had gotten hurt. And I said, well, no, sir. And he's like, okay, good. Um, and I thought, I thought I was done for. Um, I'd be, but he was a pretty merciful leader, um, but also held high standards, but very, very merciful. So I I look up to him as a good good father figure to this day. Um, kind of lost touch with him, but uh, he's he's a guy that I always look up to from my time in the military. But I also uh, look at that moment as as the kind of a a key event that made me say, well, maybe I should put guns and ammunition aside and uh, go see what this whole priesthood thing's about. I could come back as a chaplain where I'm not carrying guns or ammunition or explosives be a little bit uh, uh, less of a safety hazard to the soldiers and to myself. So the uh, Lord spoke to me through, uh, through that catastrophe. So what does is, what is a military chaplain do mm-hmm. if not fight in battle? Yeah, so they um, the main, main thing is just to minister to the soldiers that, that are the ones fighting often in battle. Uh, and that can look like a lot of, a lot of different things. Um, but it's to, to be present to them, um, to bring what I would say are our different set of weapons to the fight, not physical weapons, but you're bringing, um, weapons from above spiritual, uh, strength and, and grace, um, by virtue of, of Jesus Christ, uh, the soldiers that are that are in need of that um, healing and that strength, like like all of us. Mm-hmm. Nice. And when did you uh, realize that you wanted to do military chaplaincy? Um, I would say my my call to the chaplaincy sort of paralleled my call to the the priesthood. Uh, the priesthood was there first. Uh, I, I can remember f- from the time being a young kid wanting to be a priest, uh, but also as a young kid wanting to be in the army. I loved playing army in the woods, dressing up, running around, um, building forts and stuff in the backyard. Uh, but again, my, my call to the priesthood was there there too. I remember distinctly as a young kid uh, instead of building a fort one time I made like this lean-to grabbed a a wooden bench set it in the the lean-to grabbed a cup from the kitchen uh, my bible from my room which I pretended to be was a sacramentary the big book used at at mass and I pretended to say mass all by myself out in the the woods Um, I think the lord I see I look back on that that memory, so Lord being there, um, but yeah, just kind of that uh, love for the the uh, outdoors too. Um, 
and maybe that's that's kind of what another small thing that calls me out of maybe your typical parish context to serve serve in the military and those kind of environments so yeah i remember i in a few weeks ago i saw a, a journal entry of mine from 2005 i was 15 and it said in there that i have always it was a journal entry that said i have always thought about priesthood and i'm like man yeah, that's five, one. That's five years earlier than I attributed my vocation, like first thoughts mm-hmm. of vocation. And then at that point, two thousand five, I'm saying that I've been thinking about this prior to that, and it blew my mind. Yeah, it that, uh, yeah. kind of gave me an existential crisis because I'm like, <laughs> man, there is a God. Yeah, and God's been chasing after me for a while, and I've been chosen for this and created for this, and. Uh, it was kind of moved me to a place of, of wonder and awe and being stunned, even mm-hmm. shocked. Kind of like a, a firework going off in front of kind you. Kind of like a firework going yeah. off. What is the hardest part of seminary? Hmm. Hardest part of seminary. Hmm. <laughs> I would say the the academics can. Uh, for me, can be pretty challenging. Uh, it, there's there's a lot of intellectual uh, formation that goes on there, um, and with that, you can fall into I would say the trap of you're just trying to check the block or get by this um, academic requirement rather than what it's. I, I think the more important thing is to say, am I how am I encountering the Lord in my studies? And they, they encourage us to do that, to ask that question. Um, but I think a lot of times we can reduce what we have to do to a mere task rather than seeing it as an, an opportunity to truly encounter uh, the living God, our Lord, um, Especially, you know, studying theology, which is the study of God, um, to allow that to go from just uh, an abstract concept to something true, something real. Uh, so we can get it trapped in, I, I can get trapped in my own world with studies um, up there and kind of lose sight of the, the big picture. I think in American s- seminaries, too, it can be very... Ta- yeah, just task-oriented hyperactivity instead of slowing down and seeing, okay, how is the Lord speaking to, to me in, in this and what we're doing here? What do you think is something that people don't know about seminary? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they, they probably have this uh, mentality that we're like monks, all the time. There is a time and place for that. We do start out the year with with a silent retreat where we, for five days, enter into the silence, cutting off all email, phone calls. Um, And I think that's a good start point uh, from which to move forward into the the rest of the semester. But then the rest of the semester comes along and we, we actually do fun stuff um we had uh every fall 
it's October right now. We have a big Oktoberfest bonfire event where we just burn things. Um, and it's, yeah, have a, have bratwurst and um, able to cut back a little bit. So uh, maybe people don't, don't know that there's that element to seminary as well. Mm-hmm. And then you had, uh, we had Frisati Fridays. Yeah, yeah, Frisati Fridays, so um, snacks, drinks, uh, fraternity. Yeah, it's it's key. Good to get uh, allow allow guys to have good fraternity together, and and typically, obviously, it's on Fridays. So it's at the end of the the week where we've been working hard, and it's just a chance to to kick it a little bit and enjoy one another's company and. Uh, play board games or we have a pool table play shoot a little bit of pool and um this is like in our our rec room got the uh tv in there too so typically watching games watching games october mm-hmm. baseball yep. baseball mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what about um uh, your favorite thing about seminary Favorite thing about seminary? Uh, it might be particular to Mundelein, uh, which is in Chicago. Which is in Chicago. Uh, it's just the the beauty of the campus itself. Or I forget how many acres it is, but it's it's really pretty amazing. Um, and again, when I don't fall into the trap of just like burying my head in the books. And kind of going down that rabbit hole, if I just look up, look around, I get to see, wow, I, I get to study here. Uh, it's quite a, quite a privilege, um, quite a blessing. There's woods all around. We sit on a, on a lake, so it's just a very peaceful place. Uh, yeah, great gift. Yeah, they always have a whole bunch of largemouth bass. That I'd go out and fish, and you just basically catch one every, at least every time you go out there. Also, mm-hmm. yeah, and the lake that's there, their own private lake they have, and they got yeah, good fish in there. Um, there's deer all over the woods. Uh, there was even a uh, a beaver a couple years ago. Yep, and he was just mauling down all kinds of trees. It's quite devastating. The biggest threat to the campus in a long time was was one beaver, and they even set out a, a trap to get this guy. And um, I forget what they were using. Like they they had the trap just sitting out in the open. It looked very unnatural, and I was just thinking to myself, you know, if I was a beaver, I wouldn't go there. I wouldn't go there. <laughs> so he just kept chewing down trees. Man. Yep. How they catch him? Did they catch him? I, I guess they eventually caught him, because uh, yeah, there weren't the place would have been deforested if they hadn't. So, mm-hmm. yep. There was a uh, a dude that I knew who he would uh, shoot a bow and arrow at carp. Was this so at uh, the carp that's in the water? Yep. And you, I guess he would shine a light on it and see, be able to see them at a certain hour, and then he'd take his bow and arrow and just. I know, I know, I think I know you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, it's my uh, my buddy, Josh. Mm. 
he's he's also studying to be an army cha- chaplain. Nice. Yep. So, uh, yeah, he's he's a wild one <laughs> out there, just killing carp. Mm-hmm. Technically, they're not good for the the pool or the, the, the water. Yeah. yeah. So that gives us an ethical responsibility. Yep. To take them out. Mm-hmm. What is uh, a way that God speaks to you? Hmm. A way that God speaks to me. I think uh, definitely through other people. Uh, I, I find sometimes I'll be praying about something in the morning, in the silence. And then later on, somebody will say something throughout the course of the day. And I feel like, not always, but it can be the Lord answering some some questions that I may have had or some thoughts. So yeah, God speaks through other people and also through silence for me. I think I can hear other people out better when I've taken the time to first go speak with, with the Lord in silence. Mm-hmm. So Colin, what is... Uh... How's your experience been here at the Catholic Center? How did you get here? You had to do a year in the parish, and so you came here. And what are you what are you doing while you're here? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, diocese requires a, a pastoral year uh, where we pull us out of the the seminary environment and put us in a in a parish environment. Unfortunately, I ended up at the at UGA. Um, so it's it's been an awesome year. Uh, I feel like you know, kind of, what do I do? Um, there's kind of uh, normal daily rhythm events, kind of bookends of the day. Uh, pr- prayer always remains kind of the primary um, duty, I would say, for everybody, but especially for priests, seminarians that are in this. Uh, state of life, and so begin the day with prayer, um, and then I, I have another nice bookend at the end of the day with evening mass, helping to serve uh, at the evening mass. For those who don't know, mass is at 5.30 Monday through uh, Wednesday, sorry, Thursday, yeah, we got mass this evening, um, and then Friday it's at 8 in the morning. So what's going through your head when you're serving mass? Um, a lot of times it's, uh, it, it can actually be kind of tough when I am serving and that I might be task oriented, um, and not, not fully into the, uh, the mystery. Um, but I think the Lord understands that too. And, and there's still graces uh contemplation that comes there so sometimes it's just okay what do i got to do next um but other times that you do get i get caught up in yeah just the fact that our lord has come this day to to meet us in this way um to have this encounter um sometimes during the readings to um the liturgy of the the word Oftentimes, I hear the Lord, you know, speaking through something, something that might be going on or went on earlier that day, and then get to the the gospel reading, and it connects. So, 
Um, other times, I, I'm just, uh, yeah, I don't know what I'm, I'm thinking. I'm just there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hear from uh, people often is that they, uh, sometimes they feel bad for being distracted in mass. Mm-hmm. And for me, I have a lot of sympathy because I think just as humans, we're distracted. Yep. There's so many things happening in our lives and our in our uh, world that we step into a place and like it's very hard to be concentrated and attentive 100% of the time, 100% of the days. Yeah. Right. And, and so for me, I at least have a lot of patience, even as a priest, as I celebrate mass, like sometimes I'm just all over the place where mm-hmm. you're thinking, you're, sometimes you're thinking about the next thing or you're thinking about the conversation you had or you think about that person that I'm looking at in the pew and what they said yesterday or, or what they're going through or how they lost a loved one. And, and uh, you're wondering who that person is there. You've never seen him before. And, and then, uh, yeah, I mean, there's, there's so many things that are happening. And to be able to pray through it, it's almost as if, I don't know, it's not like we have to not do any of those things to pray. Mm-hmm. Like somehow it's just kind of a part of the experience. Like there's room for all of that. There's room for distractions in in the mass, in a yeah. sense, right? Totally, yeah. And that, I appreciate you saying that, uh, Father Brian, because that that is definitely sometimes when I get distracted, and maybe this is like my my military kicking in. It's like I, I immediately try to refocus, laser in, and continue mission. Um, but I think we're an area of growth that maybe I need is to say. You know, let those distractions kind of feed into feed into the prayer. Um, that is the most powerful prayer, the, the Holy Mass. Yeah. Place those distractions on the, the patent mm. that's going to be turned into our, our Lord's. And then even perhaps just gently returning, right? Just gently moving from, gosh, like I'm thinking about my test tomorrow instead of beating yourself up, it's like, all right, I'm going to try to refocus here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That gentleness towards self in order to return the gaze towards Christ. Mm-hmm. I like that. There's Sometimes when I'm on vacation, I will sit in the pews and attend a church, which sounds like, well, that's what everyone does. Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> but for a priest, I'm used to leading it and doing all of the things and obviously, I mean, it's the it's a very special thing. It's what I've uh, committed myself to do in life. And there's few things that I would say are more that are would be more special than that, mm-hmm. than uh, consecration and and uh, Eucharist and so forth. But there is some. I think there's a spiritual benefit that I've encountered, like on vacation or something, where I sit in the pews and I stop thinking about the things and I have the liturgy wash over me. Mm-hmm. It's special. Yeah. Yeah, it's special. And I notice I'm distracted most of the time. I'm antsy. I'm like holding on to the pew for dear life. I'm shaking back and forth. (laughs) I'm looking around at all the people. I'm looking up at the ceiling, wondering, uh, you know, the architecture that's going on. (laughs) And I'm turning around. Sometime, actually, this past time on vacation, I took out my phone and I took a picture and then I put my phone back in my pocket and I'm like, oh my gosh, I just took a Literally during the mass, I took a picture. Like that's how distracted I was, where I was like not even in the in the space anymore. I just like thought it was okay to just take out my phone and snap a picture, and then right there was 
which sounds absurd. But, uh, but I don't know. I appreciate that. I appreciate that disposition. And uh, that's just kind of how I am in that space, in the pews. Mm-hmm. And I think the, the Lord works with us and meets us where we are. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. How do you like preaching? You've been uh, you've been preaching for a while. You've been preaching uh, for a couple of months. You, did you do ever do uh, homilies or reflections prior to coming here to UGA? Um, I've we've never really. I've I've given a reflection a couple times before. Um, but yeah, this is a this is a new that's a new experience for me. Yeah. Yeah. What is that like? Yeah, it's uh. I have to admit, I I do enjoy it. Um, You're very comfortable at it, seemingly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's nice to to be able to, um, you know, just kind of in a way share uh, my own reflections of how how the Word of God has moved in my own life, uh, and maybe other folks will be able to connect with something there, and it'll help them in their in their journey and their own encounter with the Lord. So. It is it is something that I think is generative, something that is life giving, and it's um, in addition to one day by the by the grace of God being able to confect the Eucharist. It is something another element of the Mass that I very much look forward to uh, doing as as a priest. Do you, did you take a preaching class already? We had we did have narrative preaching. Uh, yep. And what, how was that? That was an awesome class. It was like a round robin, so we had three uh, professors that that taught it, um, two priests, and then there was this uh, as a lay woman um, who's who's phenomenal. She's she's one of the professors at the seminary, and uh, yeah. So I think between those three, we got very different perspectives uh, or techniques. And uh, kind of was a good introductory class. I believe when I go back to seminary in the f- next fall, I'll actually be taking homiletics. So I haven't had the official homiletics yet, um, but I have done uh, narrative preaching. So. so one of the, uh, I guess my own framework for preaching has been to foster an encounter between God and the people. Mm-hmm. Right, to, to somehow foster an encounter between God with Christ and the Spirit and the people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. As opposed to, for my own selves, as opposed to teaching, as opposed to instructing or uh, reflecting. It's like everything is geared towards that, that encounter. And whether that's right there or at communion, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. At communion time, at Eucharist time, uh, which is what we lead into. It's like, how can we prepare the hearts and prepare for an encounter or have an encounter happen in and of itself? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's all the work of the Spirit, I would say, because half the time, I don't know what I'm talking about. Half the time, um, <laughs> I don't know, like, I'm not in a good headspace or a heart space. And yet, nonetheless, like, the Spirit works and the Spirit continues to prepare the hearts uh, and to encounter people. Right. Yeah, and I, I know that from stories of people who say, uh, you know, I just bought, for me, I'm very aware of how I just botched, like, anything. I just woke up from a nap, and I don't know where I am, 
and I'm giving this message. And at the same time, it wasn't like that didn't stop God from uh, encountering this person. Mm-hmm. It may not have any had anything to do with what I said, yeah. <laughs> but nonetheless, like God's still working. God's still, um, God's still at work and encountering people. Sure. And sure. bringing people towards him or pulling people towards him. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I, I, I ran into kind of a similar thing where I, I had said something and I came off the wrong way and I was somewhat beating myself up about it. And, uh, this is where I, I think like I, to get back to one of your earlier questions, like, where do I see God? How do I, how does God speak to me? And I, I first responded, it was it's through other people oftentimes. So earlier in the day, I said something, yeah, I was like, yeah, that came off, not how I planned or whatever, um, beating myself up. And then I, I had this encounter with a guy, he's like, yeah, he's sharing his own faith journey and how he had come into the, the Catholic Church. And he said, yeah, God just doing all this stuff. Does all this stuff in spite of myself, <laughs> and uh, I like that a lot. It's like in spite of me, what I said, what I failed to say. You know, God's God's on the move. The Holy Spirit's on the move, and He's doing stuff. So there's yeah, and oftentimes in the stuff. Mm-hmm. So like now, it has moved you to be reflecting on that particular experience with other people. And so it drew you towards other people, and then it also is now uh, like helping you foster a new insight into mm-hmm. God. And so like even not just despite that experience, but like even within that experience, mm-hmm. it's like God does work. Yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty cool because yeah, it's it's encouraging that you know God is. Alive and much bigger than us. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. How do you like uh, living with Father Fred? <laughs> Father Fred. I do like living with Father Fred. It's, uh, it's a very... Uh, we got a comfortable arrangement up there at the rectory. Y'all haven't gotten in any fights or anything? Nope. Um, he, did, <laughs> he did get on to me once... Uh, so I would, I would leave the bathroom door shut. After after you, so we and we have there's two bedrooms, but then in the middle of the hallway there's a bathroom that we share. So he had he had gotten on to me about leaving the the door shut, and I gotta let let the door open, air things out. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so there's a generally positive arrangement. He uh. He's an early bird, though, which is which is nice. Um, he gets up, does a as we say in the military, PT every morning, uh, physical training. Um, You're so an early bird too. It depends, but yeah, sometimes I'll hear him get up and then I, I get up. Um, other times I hear him get up and I roll back over and go to sleep. Yep. So it's nice. I'm like, oh, Father Fred, he wakes up at four. That means I got another couple hours of sleep. And just roll back <laughs> over. <laughs> Yeah, if you ever want to live the nightlife with myself, yeah, I'm usually up until through see, midnight. Yeah, see, you're you're shielded from all the morning motion. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Oh, up, I can't imagine. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine. Yep, that's funny. Uh, I had a, uh, I had one question. I forget what it was. 
Um, yeah, are you praying with anything right now? I'm trying to think. Um, I love the Book of Wisdom. So when I've been doing my Lexio Divina, uh, we've been coming across the Book of Wisdom this week in our Office of Readings. And to um, to sit with, with that, uh, it's just um, very inspiring for me this this week uh what has stood out it personifies wisdom as in in the feminine so in this one particular clause it's the yeah it says she is mobile beyond all motion mm. she is mobile beyond all motion um and and i i tend to be sometimes myself my own background, uh, more of a Martha than than a Mary at times, and I think this particular passage was encouraging me to just be still, be more like a a Mary. Um, you know how do we, how do we, I guess, become more mobile or faster than all the motion and commotion that's swarming around. And that's, in a way, it's to be still, to pray, to turn over things to, to our Lord and to the Blessed Mother who are able to kind of move behind the scenes and move much faster than us. You know, it's like we were saying with that, um, you know, seeing that God is bigger than us, that He's, in my own case, my own experience, He's often 10, 20 steps ahead of where I am. <laughs> Yep. At least, mm-hmm. yeah. Being outside of time gives you a perspective that's further ahead. Yep. Yeah. Hmm. And I think that wisdom gives gives us, you know, the gift of wisdom, which is one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit uh, that we were given or um, strengthened in, in our confirmation uh, allows that that same kind of. Um, a taste of that of the Lord's vision of what what the Lord can see and how he can he can move and we just try to hold on what uh I have two big questions okay ready for this I'm ready hit me two big questions yep what do you do personally in your holy hour mm-hmm Hmm. Sometimes I literally just sit there. That seems to be often the case. <laughs> <laughs> so there's no, you're saying uh, there's no genius. Like, say I'm new to doing a holy hour, and you're telling me I should just sit there. Well, um, I have kind of like a, a three-fourths ratio. So typically, it can, it can change depending, but... Typically, so for a whole holy hour, I break it down into um, kind of four parts. So the first part, which typically will cover the first 15 minutes, is uh, just kind of getting settled. Just getting yeah. settled, don't know where like my thoughts are going to go, whatever. I'm going to just place all those thoughts and whatever in the tabernacle and say hello to the Lord I can remember, say hello to Mary, ask her to help help me, teach me to pray, 
Um, so that's settlement, first 15 minutes. Second 15 minutes, which, which helps me to focus, I'll normally do my Lexio Divina, read a very a short passage of Scripture and just kind of meditate on that. And then the last um, 30 minutes, well, really that meditation on Scripture goes through the middle um, 30 minutes, I would say. And then the last 15 minutes is uh, I shut the Bible, shut the breviary, and I just sit there again to see what kind of... I guess I like to sit, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. <laughs> you're doing more than just sitting. Yeah. Right, you just What you just said is like you're getting comfortable in the presence of God. You're breaking open God's Word. Mm-hmm. You're um, presenting perhaps the stuff that's on your heart uh, to God. Mm-hmm. in there in his presence and you do that faithfully you do it every day mm-hmm. right so it's not like you're just sitting there yeah that's not a bad thing you're just sitting there yeah i mean i mean that's um but i guess just what you said is like you're actually like doing a lot spiritually or uh in the presence of christ mm-hmm. for sure and, it, and it's something that i would say you gotta um you know for Something you definitely got to work up to. I wouldn't. I Man. wouldn't say, you know. I yeah. I couldn't just sit there for an hour. Yeah. When you know every single day when I first entered seminary, that's something I had to be be taught. And Man, I remember uh, beginning seminary. I, when I was in college, I tried to do a holy hour once a week. That was pretty good. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was towards the end of my. Um, Secular University uh, at the Catholic Center that I was I was doing it once a week, which I thought was excellent. I mean, that was intense. And then in seminary, they're like, all right, you got to do it every day. Mm-hmm. I'm like, wait, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> All of a sudden, I go from, you know, one a week to seven a week. Yep. And, uh, and that was intense. I had a tough time with that for years. I had a tough time with that. Mm-hmm. Because uh, then if I didn't do it, I felt guilty that I didn't do it. And if I w- did do it, I'd show up and be like, I don't have anything to think about or pray about. Um, and eventually, it's like, I don't know, like part of it is is wrestling. Part of for me, at least, has been wrestling with that. Mm-hmm. Wrestling with prayer itself. And like prayer has always been a, a challenge. Uh, and But wrestling with that in prayer. Yep. It's kind of allowed, given me a lot of freedom. Now it's fascinating. I mean, now I, I will oftentimes still struggle with prayer mm-hmm. and uh, and showing up or um, being present or praying with the stuff that's on my heart or remembering to pray for these folks or whatever. But now it's kind of like the air that I breathe mm-hmm. where it's a highlight, if not the most important thing that I do. And it's also like that which rejuvenates or replenishes or fills the rest of the day mm-hmm. and for me i wake up and that's what i look forward to that's what i uh, look forward to and and get excited about it. even if i get there and i just sit yeah right it's kind of like you said we're doing more than just sitting we're uh, it's a statement of belief it's a proclamation of what i believe i believe that uh, Lord, you have air for me to breathe. 
I believe that you are the source of goodness and like just us showing up as a prayer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, and then being in prayer itself is like, um, there's always stuff to pray about. For me, how I split this up is I don't have 15, 15, 15, 15. Um, but what I do is I'll do morning prayer. I'll do my own liturgy of the hours in the beginning, which takes 10 minutes or something. And I'll pray for all the people that I know in my own life uh, and for their intentions and for anyone that I've encountered uh, who needs prayers. And then uh, I'll do some spiritual reading, and which is like a lexio, mm-hmm. but I'll do some spiritual reading and just read a couple of pages. I have a, a meditation book that I'll read that's uh, focused on the Eucharist. And then uh, I'll journal. So this is interesting is I'll journal my thoughts. What are my thoughts right now? What are my feelings right now? And what are my desires? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it'll just be a few words. It's like, all right, what am I thinking right now? Well, I'm thinking about this. All right, what am I feeling right now? Uh, well, I'm feeling this. Okay, well, what, are, what is it that I desire? And this morning, it was, it was fascinating because I was, I was stuck on the desires. Like, I don't really know what I desire right now. And then, so I prayed with it. And eventually that surfaced, that which I did do desire. And I wrote that down. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, and for me, and, and a lot of it is just sitting in the presence uh, of God who loves me and being reminded of that love. And uh, there's probably nothing more important than that is to place yourself in the presence of God who loves you. Mm-hmm. One of the things that's helped me is what I call just honest prayer. It's like, hey, what's going on? And that's the thoughts, feelings, and desires that helps me yep. articulate an honest prayer life. But like, Christ has been vulnerable with us. It's like, gosh, how can I be vulnerable in this setting? Like, what is going on? Yeah, yeah. And can I open up? Can I write this down? Can I speak it? It's like I'm lonely or I'm afraid or I'm worried or um, I'm apathetic or I've, I'm doubting or I don't trust mm-hmm. uh, or I'm having a difficult time with this or I dread this or uh, this has been frustrating. And like even if it's just writing that down. yeah. And articulating it and pinpointing it. And uh, at some point, I mean, wrestling with it, sitting down with it, if not in, if not in that moment. I mean, that's a, that's a, a game changer. Uh, or it was for me, now that you mentioned it, in my own prayer life, uh, a couple of summers ago, we went to a program where they, it was basically a school of prayer. And one of their big things was praying through your thoughts, feelings, and desires. And it's, uh, yeah, I think like you said, it's just a way to be genuine, be authentic with God. You're not going to fool God. <laughs> yeah. He knows, he knows what's going on and, but he wants to hear, he wants to have that conversation with us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I imagine it like a, I mean, it's, it's uh, parental where you show up to prayer as a child and you become a son or a daughter, like in that moment, in that dynamic, you become the son. Like for me, I'm a father of a community or a father, a spiritual father. But like that's where I show up as son. Mm-hmm. And I need to be loved as a son and mm-hmm. I need to be loved as a daughter uh, because that fuels my spiritual fatherhood. 
or my spiritual motherhood or actual motherhood or actual fatherhood mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, learning how to learning how to be loved by Christ who looks upon us with love and unconditional love yeah 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 i've uh i've found that uh, being super honest is very challenging. So like one thing that's tough for me is, and it's, now it's a little easier, is like any sort of shame or guilt and mm-hmm. praying with that. Lord, I feel guilty for this. Instead of like brushing it aside and saying like, I feel guilty for this and just moving on, I shouldn't do that or I shouldn't do this or I feel ashamed for this and I shouldn't do that. It's like actually praying in the feeling. Mm-hmm. And allowing the love to embrace myself in that in that shame or in that guilt, mm-hmm. and to receive that there as opposed to just pushing it aside or or pushing it down, and not being loved in that space, but like presenting my shame, yeah, and allowing God to do something with it or, or allowing God to love me in that place. Yeah, that's tough though. It's very tough. That's very hard. It's very tough yeah. because it's almost like. I think the def- by definition, shame says like I'm unworthy of your love, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but again, showing up as a son, it's like imagine saying that to you know a parent, or I'm unworthy of your love. It's like that doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the parents like, what are you what are you talking about? Like receive this love, receive this gift, especially a perfect parent or a good parent, a good father, a good mother is that they want you to receive this uh, love, this mercy, this presence. Just like if you had a kid, right? If you had a kid sitting down right next to you and like they felt embarrassed or they felt like they did something wrong and they felt guilty or they felt that they couldn't, uh, didn't deserve your love or whatever. It's like, man, like that's the last thing I want you to experience Mm -hmm. because it's, it's not a, it's not a truth. It's not, uh, if anything, it's like, yeah, you feel guilty, but like never feel guilty to the point of not feeling like you're welcome mm-hmm. or not feeling as, as if you deserve my love or even more of my love mm-hmm. or that you have somehow lost um, deserving of my love. Right? That's what unconditional means. Yeah. That's why I always, when I do weddings, I always talk about how church is a school of a school of love, where like if two people who are getting married and committing themselves to each other, they're embarking on this project of love, where they're trying to love each other until death do them apart. It's like, all right, well, like, how are you learning how to love? <laughs> Have you figured it out? Do you know what it's like? It's like, no, like, that's what church is, is like presenting yourself before God who is love. And constantly returning to that in every single season, in every single high and low, and sickness and in health, um, in the suffering times, in the celebratory times, in the apathetic times, so that we can learn. And we look upon, we gaze upon the cross, right? Mm-hmm. The cross is a statement of love, uh, of how far God's willing to go for our sake, uh, for everyone's sake. Uh, but it's a school of love. I like that. Yeah. Definition of the church, school of love. I think that's, mm-hmm. I want to say it's Pope Benedict. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to say it's Pope Benedict. But that That's a, a good way of, yeah, I really like that. It's true. I mean, I need to, I need to, 
always be learning about love and how much I am loved and what love looks like and how to do it, how to love well, how to love others well, how to love the least of those well, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. least of the uh, those who are um, not as fortunate, those who are not as well off, those who are uh, broken and bruised, mm-hmm. and then those who are also you know, rich, wealthy, and successful, and famous, and I was like, how do I love these people? How do I love those who are closest to me, those personalities that uh, frustrate me, or those people who have hurt me, sinned against me, mm-hmm. harmed me? It's like, how do I love those people? How do I love these people that I live with, uh, that I have committed myself to? How do I love the person who uh, just said those things and they told that other person. Now that other person told that other person. Um, yeah. Like, unless you've figured all of those out, <laughs> <laughs> we need a school of love. Yeah. And the good news is that there's this, like, we can, we not only, like, study it intellectually, but, like, we're actually the subject of this. Mm-hmm. That somehow, like, we're supposed to be on the receiving end of this love. So that then we can actually embody this love to others and to learn how to do it in relationship with others. Whoa. Yeah. So, so showing up as a son or a daughter to Christ or a brother or sister to Christ. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And never saying that we are not worthy of love or never saying is that we... Uh, don't deserve it. Yeah, I think, um, forget the name of the saint, someone once said, the only thing we have that we can, like, give to God, that he, is is our sins, some along those lines. Everything else is of him. Yep. It's just, yeah, mind-blowing that he even would want to, take that from us yeah yeah i was talking to someone yesterday they said going back to shame they said that like god even wants to embrace your shame not just like bat it out of the way but also like embrace you and your shame mm-hmm. like in the same thing with like not just like bat out someone's sin but also embrace you in your sin mm-hmm. uh, because that's an actual disposition that we that we walk around with for me and here in confessions gosh is uh there's a there's an experience a disposition of a person prior to confession and then after confession Conf- confession like not just cleans the soul but also changes someone's day <laughs> or yeah. t- right there's an actual like temporal um a f- effect yeah. yeah a temporal fruit um but also like there's the experience within confession and the experience within confession is like admitting and being honest and that's a very vulnerable place to be and uh it's that's exactly where we need to be embraced mm-hmm. it's not just this place prior to confession where we're kind of heavy-hearted or heavy-shouldered and not just this place after confession which is light-hearted and clean-souled but also in this place of like i just spoke my worst stuff to you mm-hmm. and yet you're embracing me yeah and you're forgiving me and somehow that's how we're supposed to 
love other people as well. Wow. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, that's something I, I haven't uh, given much. I mean, just hearing you talk about conf- confession in that way. It's very beautiful, and it makes me, um, yeah, just so grateful for the mercy. One, that I've, I've received in confession, but two, to be able to, uh, by the grace of God as, as a priest, be a part of his instrument in that, that merciful process too. Yeah. Even as a priest, it's challenging because it's like I go to someone, I'm, I'm, I feel like, gosh, I'm a priest. I shouldn't be sinning. Mm-hmm. It's like, man, I should be past this or I should not be dealing with this. And even that disposition needs to be embraced. Mm-hmm. Right? It needs to be loved and have and uh, encounter mercy in that space. Mm-hmm. Not to mention the sins themselves, um, but like this, the feeling of sinfulness. Yep. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the second big question. You ready for this? I'm ready. First big question was holy hour. Yep. Second big question is what is the sacrifice of the mass what is a sacrifice of the mass i would say um i think i think it's the way i look at it um i want to say first colossians chapter six where saint paul says i've been um i make up in my own uh, sufferings, what was lacking in the sufferings of Christ, that there's somehow this mystical connection between my sufferings and between and my sacrifices and the sacrifices of, of Jesus Christ. Um, scripture speaks to this in the Mass in a very uh, unique way speaks to this because uh, we we believe as Catholics, and I believe that that is truly the sacrifice of Calvary uh, that that occurred two thousand years ago on the cross, made present in the here and in the now. And because it's present to me here and now, I get to unite my own sufferings to that. I get to um, be with with Christ in his moment of, of suffering. Um, it's hard to wrap my mind around it. <laughs> yeah. So can we flesh it out real quick? Sure. So like, it's a mystery, for one thing, mm-hmm. that's outside of time. Mm-hmm. You said there's a mystical connection there. So like a mysterious or a mystical connection. Uh, where 2,000 years ago an event happened and today we are aligning ourselves and not doing that event over, but participating in it Mm -hmm. in Calvary, which was the passion of Christ. Yeah. You you said it a little better than... No, so like, what does that even mean? 
What is what is the yeah? I mean, it, for one, it's loaded with meaning. Yeah. But what is the what was the sacrifice of Christ? Mm-hmm. The sacrifice was was uh, our Lord's passion, death, and resurrection. Um, and particularly when we think of the sacrifice, it's the first two parts of that that journey: uh, the passion and, and his death. So Christ laying down his whole self, and not just his spirit, but his his very body, his very flesh, his very blood uh, for us and pouring that out for us, offering that uh, to the Father in, in reparation for the sins of, of mankind, whether that was Adam and Eve or all the way down to Colin Patrick in year 2021. My sins. In obedience to God the Father, he followed he followed God the Father to the point of the cross, which was a sacrifice that he made on behalf of humanity for the sake of all of humanity for all of time. And then in so doing, not only defeated death by passing through it, but he also redeemed um, suffering and death. Mm -hmm. Thomas Aquinas, actually, he talks about in his Summa, he talks about how Christ experienced like the worst forms of suffering because he felt all of the things. He felt the abandonment, he felt the isolation, he felt the physical torment, the mental torment, the psychological, emotional, uh, all of these things, which means that he passed through it to the point of, yeah, offering um, or getting to a place in obedience to offer his own life Mm -hmm. for the sake of all of humanity. It's... I, I wow. I like the distinctions Thomas Aquinas makes there because that gives um, kind of definition to a lot of different forms of suffering that can be out there. You know, suffering is definitely the sacrifice of Christ on the cross is more than just physical suffering. Um, it's emotional. It's psychological. Yeah, and all of that. You're watching the people kill you, mm-hmm. people you love. Yeah. So somehow, also forgiving those people, at the same time, praying for their forgiveness, praying that God forgives them, God the Father forgives them. And then, so there's that's that's Calvary, is that there's this offering of Jesus to God the Father on behalf of humanity. There's a um, repar- reparation. Mm-hmm. Is that the word For you sin. use? For Thank sin. Mm-hmm. There's a destruction of death. There's a redemption of suffering. And then uh, there is the actual like corpse death, and, which is uh, resurrected. But then you have, say, 2,000 years later, it's like now we're doing liturgy, now we're doing the Mass, and the holy sacrifice of the Mass is the participation in that. 
but it can only happen because of the resurrection. Mm-hmm. So the fact that, <laughs> so it's kind of mind boggling. The mass can only happen be, because of the resurrection, but it's also the passion, the entirety of the passion that we participate in that's outside of time. And it's also, go back even to Thursday, the day before the Passion, it's even Thursday as well, Holy Thursday, because it's the dining of the ta- at the table yep. with Christ who feeds and gives his body and blood. Yeah, I started out answering questions <laughs> here, and then our, as our conversation got going along, I'm sitting here trying to process what we just talked about. It's good stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You gonna close this prayer? Yep. And then Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord Jesus, thank you for this time. Help uh help us here, uh myself, Father Brian, to grow in, in faith, hope, and especially love. Pray for all the those that'll tune into this podcast that they uh, likewise through through hearing uh grow in faith, which will give increased hope and especially increased uh, love. We thank you for you, Lord, laying down your life for us. May we give our lives to you. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Instagram at Catholic Dogs. See you at Mass.